What's up? It's Andy Grammer with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Hi, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. This is Heather Knox with the hottest Jag I've ever seen. Ryan Seacrest with Jag. It's B.O.B. checking in with my homie Jag. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show podcast. Welcome in. I am John J.K. One of the most common questions that I get from both new and existing clients is, How do I make money on my podcast? Today's guest is going to answer that question in just a moment, and we'll get to that. But first, Stacey Sims has been a television and radio reporter, is now a podcast host and author, and is really an all-around rock star. Welcome to The Jag Show. Thank you so much. You can be my new PR person. You're hired. (laughs) Call Matt Friedman for that. No doubt. So I got to know you through the Alumni Association of our college radio station, WJPZ in Syracuse, and we've even done a podcast panel together. And correct me if I'm wrong, but your entry into podcasting and books kind of traces back to your son's diagnosis with type 1 diabetes, right? Absolutely. So tell us the story. Sure. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Matt Friedman starting out part of the JPZ Alumni Association, Syracuse University, and that's how we met. And I have so many different trails that cross over in life, right, with Syracuse and radio and television and diabetes. And diabetes really led me down some paths I never thought I would go on. Mm -hmm. My son was diagnosed with type 1, which used to be called juvenile diabetes, back in 2006, right before he turned 2. At the time, I was a radio show host working at WBT in Charlotte, where we still live, doing mornings, did mornings for forever. And yeah, exactly. Television as well, which is even worse. But you know, you take care of your son, you Mm. take care of your child, you you do what you need to do. And we jumped into this diabetes community that as a health reporter, which I had been for TV and radio, I knew a little bit about, but once we were part of it, I realized just how much there was a need for better information, for, you know, more connection. And we were really lucky to benefit from the connection that was there. And people were starting to blog. I mean, you think back to 2006. Sure. Free iPhone even, Mm -hmm. which is wild. There were some podcasts. I've probably like yourself, I've been a podcast listener for many, many years, even when you had to take your iPod and plug it into your computer Mm -hmm. to download. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) but when I was working full time and raising two kids and everything else that goes along with that, I didn't really have the bandwidth. But when I left the radio station, I thought, you know, now's the time. There's a real need in my community for information about type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. If you're going to see something on the news, it's going to be a 30-second story, maybe in November, which is Diabetes Awareness Month. Sure. They're going to mix up type 1 and type 2. They're going to say blood pressure instead of blood glucose. So I created this show to provide that kind of information using my news background. And the same thing with my book, which is an advice book for parents. I love the name of your book. It is? Oh. It's the world's worst diabetes mom. And it's all about, and all parents go through this, this pressure for perfection, hmm. right? We're supposed to, you know, do everything, top of your game, never make a mistake. And it's it's so silly. And, you know, Instagram and all this stuff has even made it worse. And in the diabetes community, there are so many numbers yeah. that we have to worry about all day long. It's very difficult not to compare, not to feel guilt you know, almost want to hold your child back in certain ways because you know the numbers will be better. You know, if they don't go on that sleepover, if they don't play in that soccer game, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. So I wrote the book, which is all about our mistakes. My son is now 15 and mm. we've messed up quite a bit, <laughs> but I love it. It's all about learning from mistakes. And that's, a, yeah, the world's worst diabetes mom. I love that you are providing such an important resource. For me personally, I have learned so much about diabetes in just the last couple of years. Um, 
my cousin's son was diagnosed a couple of years ago, and the stories he told me of the night they figured out what it was and rushed him to the hospital and they almost lost him. Yeah. My wife's cousin, who was her best friend, she was the matron of honor in our wedding. She's 49 years old. She was diagnosed at four and it's just her body has been ravaged by this disease for 45 years. And then my parents or my dad is and my mom is close to being a type two diabetic because of lifestyle and understanding the difference between type two diabetes and having it brought on versus having something that is, I guess, genetic, right? Or tell me about type one, just for our listeners clarification. Can I do like two minutes of a soapbox? Please, I promise please, this please. Will become the diabetes podcast. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Type one diabetes is an autoimmune issue. Mm-hmm. So you might be born with it quote, but it's triggered by something. It's okay. triggered. We don't know, right? Environment, virus, something happens. You can get type one diabetes at any age. My son was 23 months old. Mm. I have a friend who was diagnosed at 71. Wow. Yes, doesn't matter. It's an autoimmune disease. Type 2 diabetes, as you've already touched on, is often thought to be brought on by lifestyle, sedentary, you're overeating, obesity. However, there is a huge genetic component to type 2 diabetes. Oh, crap. I know. I'm so sorry to tell you. There's also an environmental component, we think, because there are so many more cases of type 2. You can be obese and never develop type 2. You can be thin and get it. And I'm telling you, as you're listening and you're like tuning out because I don't, this doesn't... There's also something called LADA. This is a form of diabetes that they're learning more and more about. Hmm. And it seems to happen in, well, it happens in adults. It's a slower growing form of type one. So as you listen, if you've been diagnosed with type two diabetes, but your medication isn't working out, you're doing everything you're supposed to do and your doctor's still yelling at you because your A1C is high, ask them to do a C-peptide test and find it if you might have LADA. Wow. End of soapbox. <laughs> it is such a misdiagnosis. I think something like 30% of type 1 diabetes cases are misdiagnosed in adults. And people live with type 2 for up to 10 years before they're properly diagnosed. I am really glad that I stumbled my way through that explanation because that gives me a lot of clarity. And I'm glad I kind of led you into explaining it because <laughs> as I learned so much about this, the main thing that I've learned is that I know nothing. So I'm really glad to have you clarify all that. <laughs> Well, diabetes is such an interesting and unusual condition in that it's also one that people think they know everything about and can make fun of. Well, you don't see people on Instagram doing like hashtag cancer, but they'll oh, put, geez. you know, a big ice cream sundae out and be like hashtag diabetes. It's bizarre. You're so right. And I mean, I've learned a Isn't little bit in that, you know, I work with uh, registered dietitian Melissa Joy Dobbins, who you connected me with, and she's yeah. one of my favorite clients. And then I also now, through Melissa, uh, do some work for the, the ADCES. I'm going to get the acronym wrong, but it's the Diabetes Organization out of Chicago that nationally. Mm. And I've learned in working with both of these clients a lot about diabetes. But again, I feel like I've just scratched the surface. And this is something that you've lived with and really kind of made a career out of. It's not something I ever intended. Right. But it certainly is going in that direction. And that's what's cool about podcasting. It, you know, I don't want to change the subject if Please. we're not ready. No. But isn't it amazing how when you're producing these shows and you're talking to all of these people, any given day you can learn about something completely different. And it's the same thing for me. Yes, I do diabetes, but I talk to people are affected by it. And so one day I'll have an, a professional athlete. The next day it'll be a parent of a little kid. The next day it'll be, you know, Breck Bassinger, who's, she's on Stargirl on the CW. She's the lead actress in that show. So you never know. You're going to learn about all this cool stuff. It's what I love about podcasting. I'm going to put you on the spot off of what you just said yes. and give me, and I know there's probably too many to pick from, but give me one or two interviews that you did that just wowed you. There are two that come to mind. Um, Victor Garber, 
is an actor who's been in a million things. And if you're thinking, who is that guy? If you go Google him and he pops up, you'll go, oh yeah, that guy. Um, Hashtag IMDb. Yes, thank you. (laughs) He's in everything. And he was the first celebrity that I spoke to for my podcast. He was the first Mm -hmm. celebrity with type one. And I was so nervous to talk to him. And he was such a, a gentleman and so wonderful about it. And really opened up because he was diagnosed at a time when people didn't talk about it. Um, He's probably in his 60s now, if not a little older. And he came to fame a long time ago. uh, There was this theatrical production in Canada that had Andrea Martin was in it and Martin Short. And, you know, it was very famous. A lot of SCTV people, a lot of Mm -hmm. people from Canada who came to the U.S. and got famous. And he had confided in them, but he didn't really tell the public. He didn't want to be ostracized, was afraid of how people would react, that kind of thing. He was afraid he wouldn't get hired. He was a health risk. You know, and he talked about, because as you mentioned, your your friend who was in her 40s, the technology and the treatment has changed just in the last 20 years, really. Sure. So to be diagnosed in your teens in the 1960s, Mm. you know, totally different ballgame. And so he was afraid he wouldn't get hired. People wouldn't take a chance on him. It was just so interesting to talk to him about everything from that. And then leading up, he's another one. I don't know why this happens. He's another superhero show. He was in um, Legends of Tomorrow. Okay. I asked him about the costume. Like, can people see your tech through the costume? And he was like, oh, heavens no, I don't wear anything tight anymore. What are you, crazy? You know. (laughs) (laughs) And the other interview that stands out just happened a couple of weeks ago. I was really fortunate to be on a conference call with Eli Lilly. Oh, wow. And there's a huge controversy about the price of insulin right now. Sure. And it's been for several years. And this was at the very beginning, um, probably March, the beginning of COVID-19 experiences for many of us. And they were talking about assistance programs for people who need uh, help paying for insulin. Mm -hmm. And I just straight up asked them, I said, why not be a hero and just drop the price? Let's do it. Like, now's the time to be bold. And it was great because the whole call went silent. (laughs) And as, you know, as a former talk radio person, you know, you love those silences. Oh, yeah. I don't mind them at all. Like, let's stretch it out. But everybody, there were like 10 people on the call. There were bloggers and other people and other people from Eli Lilly. And they came back with, well, we'll see, you know. (laughs) And um, a couple of weeks later, they did offer a coupon for $35, which was what I had suggested. But not because of me, but it's really not. It's not enough and it's not. It doesn't help everybody. I think about, you know, back to the presidential campaign here in Detroit when Bernie Sanders was here. He put a bunch of people on a bus, drove them across the river to Windsor, Ontario, Canada, so they could get insulin for a reasonable price. Do not get me started. (laughs) (laughs) But those are two that stand out. But I've done 313 episodes. Wow. Look at that. 313, the Detroit area code. It all comes full circle. There you go. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Again, our friend Matt Friedman will be very happy. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so you start the podcast, Diabetes Connections. How long ago did you start it? 313 episodes. How long ago was that? Five years, June of 2015. Excellent. So how did you grow this thing? And, and again, I, I want to come back to for a second. Let me back up here and say, as a television and radio personality, one of the first things they taught us both at Syracuse was in order to make something that prints to market well, you've got to have an emotional connection um, and you've got to convey that. And you obviously have an emotional connection in spades when you're talking about something like diabetes, something that affects people's health, people's children's health, and and affects families so deeply. So you had that emotional connection off the bat. How did you grow the podcast from where it started to where it is now? It's interesting about the emotional connection. I started out knowing that I wanted to have the news peg because there were already, and there still are, many podcasts about diabetes and many very good podcasts. Most of them, though, are first-person 
this is my experience. I want to tell you stories about me, or I might have interviews on, but I'm an adult living with type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was a space for a news, a newsier product, right? I don't really do breaking news. I try to keep up on things. I do a lot of technology. My listeners are are really into the, the latest and greatest technology with diabetes, insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, that sort of thing. Sure. I started out by thinking, Let's see what happens. I didn't have a grand plan of, I'm going to have thousands of listeners. I'm going to take over the space. I'm going to make lots of money. I said, I have to do this because, and I think you understand this and many people listening will too. As a radio person, you cannot shut up. I could not stop talking back to other podcasts, right? So if you find yourself with an idea and a topic and you want to talk about it so much that you will talk to yourself you have to start the podcast or get hired by a radio station or you will. You've got to have a passion for what you're talking about, because if you're one of the people, oh, um, I was reading about podcasts and I think I should start a podcast. I think I'm just going to do a podcast. And my friends say I'm funny, so I should do a podcast. That's not the way to go. You need to have something that you're passionate about that comes through, as, of course, it does with you, Stacy. Right. And I wanted to stay married. So I thought, <laughs> OK, my poor husband. Um, and I started the podcast thinking, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I started it off, I do a presentation, I, I speak, and I had been doing this for a while, I speak at conventions, I talk to other parents and other people with diabetes, and one of the topics that I was really passionate about and still am is connecting in real life. It's a little harder right now that we're all separated, Sure, but you need that in-person connection. It can't just be on social media. Even if it's a Zoom call, you need to speak face-to-face and learn about this. is a very, very personal experience. So I thought, okay, I'll do the podcast and the peg will be kind of newsy, but I'll also talk about people's connections. So my first three interviews are all, when did you first meet the person that, you know, the first person in the diabetes community? And when did you go to your first in-person event? Well, after three episodes, I was really bored of that. It wasn't working out. So I just said, forget, we're throwing that out. We're going to keep Diabetes Connections as the name, but we're going to just talk about different stories and news events. And I'm going to be able to put people in the hot seat from Eli Lilly and other companies. And then over time, I was never a big blogger. I didn't have a big following in that way. But I started hearing more from friends in the community who were posting it in their groups, closed Facebook groups, became a huge way for me to grow it. There's a ton of people in these different Facebook groups and they all have their different angles. There's one for technology. There's one for parents. There's one for this. And so I started posting in there that really helped a lot. I continued with the in-person appearances. I tried some interesting things. I tried some partnerships. I tried some commercialized partnerships, which we can talk about. I I did a segment once where I went to a convention. I talked to every vendor. Hmm. And then I did a, what a pain in the butt. And I did a, (laughs) oh, you know how that is, right? And I did a five minute segment. It was just a five minute quick interview. And then for that year, I spaced it out and I called it shop talk. And every week I talked to, you know what? Nothing. It did nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nobody cared. None of the vendors cared. Nobody gave me a pop. It, it was a complete waste of time. I wish our listeners could see the amount of hand motions you're doing right now as you're, <laughs> as you're explaining that. But your point is well taken. I, always, I have to have a clean desktop because I always talk with my hands. I knocked over so much stuff when I worked at WBT. It was such a joke because they wouldn't let me in. With I had to have lids on everything. <laughs> I, had, you know, I knocked over everything. That's just how I am. I get a little passionate. But that did nothing for me. But in-person appearances, Facebook groups. It's been a really interesting journey because I've been in this right since 2015. And even the way that podcast numbers are measured 
has changed. Right, the new metrics. When this, all the bots are gone, you don't get as many downloads as you thought you once did. I had a one-year period, maybe almost 18 months, where Facebook was artificially inflating the numbers. Facebook was? Facebook was. I used to post my episodes as a direct download link. I use Liberated Syndication. I use Libsyn as my host. Yeah. And I used to put, if you go, you can choose how you want to post it. And I didn't post back to my website. I used to say, listen here with one click because I thought that would be really easy for the non-podcasty people. Mm -hmm. And they would click the direct download link. It would open and play. Well, we come to find out now, Facebook looked at that as a video in some ways, which is great because they give it more attention. But you could Google this about, let's see, fall of 2018, big, big scandal with Facebook and video because they were overinflating the numbers. (sighs) A ton of media companies got caught in this. A lot of people were basing their entire business models, big media companies on it. And so when you find out, no, you didn't get 7,500 downloads on that episode. (laughs) You know, you got 3,000, which is still great, but it's not the same. It went overnight from, it was, everything was chugging along and then it just turned off. And it took a while to figure out what had happened. And me and a few other podcasters figured it out together and kind of got confirmation. It was wild. So you kind of have to go through those ups and downs to figure out what are the real numbers, how many people are really listening. It's very difficult, too, when you're talking to advertisers because you need the real deal. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, too, is people really, and I think when you get to the point where you're selling advertising, it might be a little bit different. But when people start a podcast, they really sweat these download numbers. And that's something I try to tell clients is don't sweat the download numbers as you're starting out. Look at it as a marketing tool. Look at it as a branding tool and really, really focus on building it. And if you're good and you're consistent, the download numbers will come. Right. And then, of course, the biggest question to ask before you buy your microphone or do anything is, why am I doing this? Yes. What's the point? Right. And if you can answer that question and it's okay I mean, to be completely honest, I'm doing this because I want to help people. I want to grow my business. I can't shut up, stop talking to the radio. I have a huge ego and I need to put it somewhere, right? I mean, be honest with yourself. You don't have to write it out and put it on a billboard. Mm -hmm. Then it makes it much easier to come back and say, okay, how am I doing with it, right? Are 100 people listening, but 100 people also are now going to my business where I had five people before. Mission accomplished. I'll say 20 podcast listeners over 100 likes on Facebook or Instagram. Absolutely. And I think if you know what your goal is, it really helps to mitigate the shock of seeing, frankly, how few people listen to podcasts. It's not like blogging. It's not like writing something. It is an incredibly different medium. And the average podcast gets about 100 and what, 150 downloads after 30 days. With that in mind, and knowing that the numbers kind of bounce around all over the place, how did you start monetizing your show and getting sponsors? Well, I knew this was going to happen right away in my head. Talk about goals. I said, all right, I have a goal in mind. I had a blogging um, agreement with a diabetes company. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I am going to start this podcast. If it goes anywhere, I'm going to these people and I'm going to ask to be sponsored. And that was my only goal. This was one company. So I had 125 listens per show at that point. And I was like, let's do it. Let's just go for it. And I did have a pre-existing relationship with them. They knew me and they trusted me to grow. Mm -hmm. However, it was Johnson & Johnson. (laughs) And yeah, it was small potatoes. And they had never (laughs) sponsored a podcast before. Now it was a division of Johnson & Johnson. It was an uh, insulin pump division that is no longer around called Animus. Okay. And what I got very lucky with I didn't even realize this until later, was that I really dealt only with the marketing department. 
And she agreed. We, you know, set a very low price. And I still, and we can talk about this. I don't really base it on numbers. Obviously they want to know how many listeners I had, but I don't charge on the numbers. I just charge by the episode. And we had a three month agreement and it went through beautifully. But the funniest part about the whole story is she called me back after it was done and said, okay, now we have to deal with compliance. Mm. And I thought compliance, she's, yeah, we're a medical device company. And what was interesting was I was so fortunate that marketing was smart and signed the deal and cut the check. Huh. And then compliance had to figure it out. And that has helped me since day one, because now I have several companies, but they're all medical and it's completely different. You can't sell a, an insulin pump like you sell a used car. You cannot talk about it in the same way. <laughs> and it's really been helpful. So there's no president's day sale on insulin pumps, I'm guessing. No, unfortunately. <laughs> well, that was another question that I had for you, Stacey, because- what kind of hoops and obstacles do you have to go through? If you have a continuous glucose monitor company sponsoring your podcast, you have any medical device or medical, you know, or pharmaceutical company, how much of a pushback do you get on content or has that really helped you in terms of you know what you can and can't say? Or All right, well, let's dial back. With any company, right, you're going to go to them and say, I'm so great. Here's my media kit. Mm -hmm. You got to create one. There is one on your website. Yes, you can download the media kit right there. That's a little different, though. That media kit doesn't have my pricing. Okay. So that you have to, you have to call me up and we'll talk, but you have to have your media kit that has all of your information that sponsors want to see, including your pricing and the breakdown of it. Once you figure it out, if it's a good match and they want to go forward with it, there are several ways to do it. You know, you know, from talk radio, which is my background, we do everything is based on live reads. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to endorse the, let's go with that. I'm going to endorse the used car company. I get a list of bullet points and I can say whatever I want. Right. See my friends downtown. They're going to hook you up. I love my minivan. I put my golf clubs in it and my son's football stuff. Woo, it smells really bad right now, but it's great. It's part of being a mom. I'm schlepping around town. You go see him. He'll make you a deal. Whatever. Right. I mean, I don't know. It's like riding a bike for you. <laughs> so, you know, but you can make it up as you go. You can say different things. You can tell different stories. But all these ads are about personal stories. They have to be because who cares about reading stupid copy? You don't want to just read the same thing every week. Go buy a car. It's great. We have a good day. You want to tell the story. Yes. And it's the same thing with this stuff. However, with medical equipment of any kind, and I think this also applies to sponsors that may be a little bit nervous about people who don't have a lot of experience with live reads or they're new. This is something you don't have to have a medical sponsor, I think, for this advice. What I do is I write out six to eight commercials mm -hmm. for each company. They look at them, they vet them, they go through compliance, they red pen them, they do everything. I'm actually in the process of doing this with a new company right now. It's going great. And then they send it back to me. I'm pretty much approving everything. The only thing that I don't like to do is, I, well, I don't do it all. You know, you can't do that disclaimer. Ugh. If you're allergic to this product, don't take this product. You know, that kind of thing. It's like those drug commercials you see on TV where the commercial's 15 seconds and the last 45 is may cause death. Right. But they have to say that. They're, you know, it used to be, and we can go to a different topic altogether. Until the early 90s, you couldn't advertise pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. It was against the law. Okay. And when they were able to do that, they had to put all of these safeguards in. And part of the safeguards are these ridiculous disclaimers that we all hear. <laughs> yeah. So I tell them, you can put that at the very end of the show. Like that's going to go after, this is a production of Stacey Sims Media. That's going to go after the music stops. Or we can put a link and you will put it on your website. And most people find that the second, just linking to the website is enough. But I get back that copy. I have six to eight different ads. And then I just rotate them through the year. I can add a little bit of inflection. I can change it up, but I can't change the meat of it. And that's okay with me because this is not a used car. Right. 
it's a different type of product. And that's a concession that I've made and a decision I've made because I want that relationship with that sponsor. Fair enough. So if I am John Q. Public and I'm starting my podcast and I'm building my audience and I have a niche, like you have a niche with your podcast, at what point can someone start to think about monetizing their show? I'm going to lay it down here because I hear a lot of shows and a lot of people are like, well, it depends. Whenever you want. Okay. Whenever you want to monetize. Now, just remember, you're not selling your show. You are selling your audience. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your content needs to be good. It needs to be consistent. But it's really about selling your audience. If you don't know who your audience is and you don't know what they like, then you're in a little bit of trouble. It's easy with a niche like mine. I know what they're looking for. But you can survey your audience a little bit. I mean, it's kind of hard in the beginning, especially if you don't have a lot of downloads. You're not sure where people are coming from. But put out a short little survey. A lot of the podcast hosts provide this for you. You can go into Libsyn or Blueberry, I think, does it too. And they'll give you really basic questions. You can have them fill out a survey. There's a link. But in your show, say, hey, I need to know more about you. Here's the survey. Give them a $10 Amazon card or something. You know, pick somebody at random. Find out more about your audience. Decide what you're going to do. How are you going to advertise? Are you going to have a pre-roll and then a spot in the middle of the show? You know, what are you going to do? And then, and this is, not everybody agrees with me. I personally don't think you should sell a commercial in a podcast that's less than $100 a week. Okay. I don't think it's worth your time. It's hard work to do this. It's almost harder to sell and have commercials in your podcast than it is to do the podcast. Because if you do it right, you are now working with and for this other company. Mm -hmm. You can't just take their money and be lazy about it. (laughs) This is a new, this is now a job. Right. And you've got to be willing to do the hard work. And I think if you take less than $100 a week, it's doable, but it's, it's really not serious. So that's my guideline. I know people feel very differently. I know people who make like 10 bucks a week on it and that's great. It's beer money. Can you get a beer for $10? I don't even know where we are these days. Maybe not in your home state of New York, but maybe uh, <laughs> in some other places you can here in Michigan. I only drink the top shelf, my friend. So no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think it's important just to think it through. And it's okay never to make a dime, right? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your business show. Maybe it's a show for your business. It's branded podcasts that bring you business. Yeah, maybe. Right. So you say start whenever you want, <laughs> but there needs to be enough time for you to establish the show and establish an audience to figure out who that audience is based on what you're saying? Well, if you're looking at it that way, probably three months. Okay. But if you're, look, we all know people who started a podcast with sponsors. Mm -hmm. They had notoriety from something else. They had an agreement. There's different factors. If you're starting from scratch and you really don't know, probably three months, because after three months, you're also going to know whether you're going to continue. That's fair. Because at that point, you might say, hey, this was fun, but this isn't for me. So you'll have an idea of how committed you can be and what kind of bandwidth you have to commit to it, whether you're working from home or, or whatever, regardless of COVID. Right. I thought this was going to be great. And I did three episodes and I haven't put out another one in six weeks. So maybe it's not for me. You'll figure it out. So Stacy, obviously podcasting is kind of the wild, wild west when it comes to a lot of rules and regulations. It's not <laughs> quite regulated like by the FCC, like TV and radio would be. And you don't have to have the same disclosures when it comes to sponsors and things like that. Talk to me a little bit about the ethics of being honest with your audience in terms of what content is sponsored, not sponsored. How does that play out? I am overjoyed that you asked this question. I think it gets <laughs> overlooked all the time in podcasting. I feel like disclosing what's going on to your audience 
is the best thing you can do. You've got to put your listeners first in every single way. If you do that, the show will, it'll just come naturally. It'll be successful. Decisions get much easier to make. So for me, that means talking to my audience about why they're hearing what they're hearing. Uh And that can be everything from guests to the commercials. Now, people with diabetes, I, I made this pledge in the very first show, people with diabetes pay enough. They pay for equipment, they pay for insulin, they pay with their time. You know, they don't need to pay for a podcast. So I told them the podcast will always be free. I don't do Patreon. I don't offer special stuff. That's fine if you do it. It's just a different look for, you know, it's a different way to go, different model. And so I said, never. But that means we're going to have sponsors. And so I'm very clear on this is the ad now. Diabetes Connections is brought to you by this person. Let's talk about them. And then there's music afterwards to separate it. Interestingly, though, and I'll just pick out a couple of podcasting familiars, you know, unlike a mattress ad or a Blue Apron ad, (laughs) I will probably wind up talking to somebody from these companies or a competitor or someone who has once worked for them on the show. And if that's the case, I always say, and I'm sure my listeners are sick of it by now, hey, I'm talking to, I'll give you a good example. The company Dexcom makes a continuous glucose monitor. My son wears it. They've been a sponsor since uh, since year two, I think. So I say all the time, hey, we're talking about Dexcom this week. We're talking to the CEO. He doesn't know what questions are coming. We don't have any agreements in the can. This is a news interview. Yes, you're going to hear a commercial from Dexcom. Dexcom is a sponsor and has been for many years. We have a great relationship and I do love the product but they only pay for that commercial. They haven't paid for the interview. And then I'm able to ask the CEO all of these questions that especially my listeners have questions. And sometimes they're, it's not a great and friendly thing. And I give them a lot of credit for being accessible and still paying to have the commercials. Right. Because they could say, no, thank you. But then my audience knows what's going on. And if you don't do that, if you go to conferences and accept money and don't disclose, Everything is suspect. Now, most podcasts, if you're doing a Game of Thrones podcast, you probably don't have to disclose a lot about your sponsors if you're taking money from, like I said, mattresses or beverage companies or whatever. Or Starbucks that shows up in Game of Thrones. Right, or Starbucks or, or like, you know, board games or whatever. By the way, huge Game of Thrones fan. Have me on another time. We'll talk about that. I've never watched it. I just knew about the Starbucks story. You read the books? No, nothing. Oh, my friend. All right. I know you're busy. Stacey, you have to understand, I was a top 40 radio DJ for 15 years, and I had to follow pop culture for work. (gasps) That's right. And now that I'm not, I have been detoxing uh, (laughs) from pop culture for the last three years. Your music's too loud. Get off my lawn. That's hysterical. One of my dreams is to do more of pop culture or something fun. I love what I'm doing. I have no plans to end diabetes connections, but half the time I'm like, gee, this would be a lot easier if I just talked about the Broadway shows I liked, (laughs) you know? But to get back to it, whatever kind of show you do, you have to put your audience first and work backward from there. And if you're not disclosing what's going on and relationships that you had, and it might feel kind of weird if you've never done that before, right? To how do I do this? How do I make sure, you know, I don't want to look bad, but I, I don't want to look like a shill. I don't want to, I'm taking money, but just be honest about it. And, you know, there are shows, there's a lot of entrepreneurial shows that charge people to come on. Mm-hmm. You know, you do you, it's podcasting. I get it. But I do think you should disclose that because it changes the way we listen. And that's really important. 
I think there's probably an understanding amongst an audience of a podcast or a podcast listener of, look, you have to make money at this somehow. So I understand that if these guests are coming on and they're not paying to come on, that Stacy's got to make money off this podcast somehow. And if she's not doing a Patreon or charging me to listen to it, okay, she's got to have a sponsor. I, I think there's a there's an appetite for that. And, you know, it's funny. I, over the years, I have gotten one or two complaints, uh, but the complaints have mostly been because I didn't format the show correctly. And I'll put that on me. I had the commercials too close together. I wasn't making it pleasant. I was putting some fluff in. There are ways to put commercials in a podcast that sound good. And if you find yourself just trying to fill the space between the commercials to get from one to the other, you know, I was trying to do it in a way that just didn't sound good. And my listener said, we don't like that. And I said, all right, I'll try it this way. And they said, yeah, that's fine. And I said, okay, great. <laughs> Joel Saul Cihai, who does the Stacking Benjamins podcast here in Michigan, did a presentation at Podcast Movement last summer. One of the things he talked about was reducing any friction points with the listeners. And that's exactly what you're saying there is anything that's going to cause friction with a listener, you want to eliminate that. And I think that sounds like you've done a good job of really taking that feedback to heart and adjusting accordingly. You know, you've got to listen to them. It's, it can be hard when someone has a bit of constructive criticism or a complaint. But again, you're serving your listener. You want to put them first. And I have a Facebook group for my show, and that's where I, I look for a lot of feedback. I'll ask them questions or things like that. I was listening to the uh, Man Listening podcast you did recently where you talked about your passion for connecting people. You mentioned this earlier on in our podcast, too, about Facebook groups. And you've got, what is it, a group of like 700 diabetes parents there in Charlotte that just kind of grew organically? Yeah, it's funny. I mentioned that on the podcast and I said 700. I look, it's 830. So I started this, right? I started this when Benny was in first grade. Mm -hmm my son, because I wanted to meet other parents in the Charlotte area. There was no way for us to meet up. There was no mechanism to make it happen. And so I went out to dinner with a couple of moms I knew of kids with type one and posted it on my public Facebook page for the radio station. And people reached out and said, well, hey, I want to do this. And so we started it and the page just keeps growing and growing. And it's unfortunate because of course, more people are being, more kids are being diagnosed. And you know, this is a group just for parents of children with type one. But it's been a lifeline. I honestly think it's one of the best things I've ever done. Um, I've gotten so much real information. And frankly, we help each other out with equipment and insulin. And I mean, that's another story altogether. But I mean, just last weekend, I, I had two families I dropped off insulin for. Wow. So we help each other out. That sense of community, whether it's a community that you and I are part of as part of alumni of the radio station, even though we weren't at school at the same time, it doesn't matter because we're one big family. We've got alumni that graduated in 1985 and alumni that graduated in 2019, and it's all one big happy family. So uh, there, <laughs> it really, I think, comes through as a common theme in your life, Stacey, of all these different groups uh, and communities that you've become a part of. Isn't that interesting? You know, you never know what is going to happen. I, I always wanted to be involved in radio or television news. Mm -hmm. I mean, since middle school, I knew that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it is amazing how things morph and change and you really kind of find where your strengths and your passions are. And to be somebody who has been a part of several different, very distinct communities, it's been really fun. And I'm excited to see what happens next. The last thing I want to ask you before I let you go, and you've been very generous with your time today, and I appreciate it, is what advice you have for type one diabetes parents. You know, you mentioned that the book is called The World's Worst Diabetes Mom and you've got the self-deprecating humor about it and that you're gonna make mistakes and nobody's gonna be perfect. But, you know, from the moment that, and I know this from my cousin when his son was diagnosed and, you know, he almost lost him, that there is 
so much stress and it's so overwhelming. You mentioned all the numbers and and all the different ways of treatment and all the different things you've got to do and, and all these different things. And depending on too on how old your kid is when they're diagnosed and what they're self-sufficient with and what they're not. Is there any general advice you would give to diabetes parents who are either newly diagnosed or have been at this for a while? Yeah, and I think it's also, I would give this to all parents. Um, You know, and I'm an older parent now. My kids are 18 and 15, which Hmm. is crazy. It's not as though there's a finish line and I can be like, yeah, I did great. But looking back, I would say, just be careful. And this is for all of us, right? Where you're getting your information. Oh, yes. Try to put context to it. It is very easy to jump into a Facebook group and say, my son's blood sugar goes low every night at 2 a.m. What should I do? There will be 25 comments Hmm. with 28 different pieces of advice. (laughs) Some of them will be great. Some of them will be awful. Some of them will be harmful. None of them will be specific to you and your situation. Only your endocrinologist, your child's endocrinologist can really help you through that. I mean, can other parents give you moral support? Absolutely. Can reading blogs of other parents help you? Without a doubt. But if you're basing your decisions on other people's opinions instead of science and facts and your personal situation, it is not going to work out well for you in the long run. And I think that's for all parents. When I was a new parent, I read a lot of mom blogs and none of them spoke to me. Hmm. And what worked out well for me as a parent of a child with type 1 was reading the blogs of adults with type 1. For whatever reason, that helped me more than anything. And I think it was because the perspective was different. They were further away from it. They were able to say, this actually helped and this really didn't. Rather than, this seems to be helping. I don't know because I'm in it for a month. And that has also morphed. And I'll, I'll give you one little more thing that is quite obvious, but I like to say. If you're on Instagram... It is fun to scroll. Hmm. It is never a good idea to believe. And I say that not for facts. We all know about like vetting scientific information. I was at a conference about two years ago and this woman looked gorgeous. This is a diabetes influencer, right? There There are influencers in every community. Yes. And I said to her, man, your pictures are always so great. And here we are early at this conference and you look so beautiful. Like, how do you do it? And she laughed at me. She said, I have a photographer, she had a professional photographer taking her Instagram pictures and she had a hair and makeup person. Hmm. Are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm supposed to live up to that nonsense? No, thank you. So when I scroll through now and I see, oh, look at your perfect kitchen, look at your perfect child, look at your perfect fashion. I'm like, turn the camera around, show me the team. Yeah. Because it's, it's not real. And I think as parents, we just feel like we're always failing our children when in fact- Our kids think we're great. Our kids are happy. Our kids are safe. And you should lean into that as much as you can. That is excellent advice. Stacey Sims, the podcast is Diabetes Connections. Where can people find you? Social media and otherwise. Wherever fine podcasts are found. Um, Yeah, diabetes-connections.com. I am on Facebook, Twitter. I'm on Instagram as Stacey Sims. I don't do Pinterest. I am not on TikTok. No. Again, that is why I'm glad I'm no longer a top 40 radio DJ because I'd probably have to be on TikTok TikTok if I was. (laughs) I love it. Stacey, thank you so much for your time. This was a lot of fun to talk, um, to learn about more about diabetes and everything that you're doing, the wonderful things you're doing for that community. And also for people who ask how to make money off podcasts, it can be done and there are ways to do it. But like everything, there's no quick fix. You've really got to put the work in. I really appreciate you, you know, giving me the time. It was so much fun to talk to you. All right. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Jag Show podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe in Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are published every Tuesday and Friday morning. For help with your podcast, find Jag on social media at Jag in Detroit or on the web at jagindetroit.com.